So thank you for being a part of this, this day here on Memorial Day weekend. And as you celebrate and as you enjoy the beautiful sunshine this weekend, please do not lose sight of all that we have been given and what we get to celebrate together. Let me encourage you now to, to grab your Bible and to join me in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, we actually are turning to a new chapter in our study of 1 Peter. If you're, if you're new to Shades today or if you're joining us online for the first time, we've been walking through a study week after week here over the last month or so in the book of 1 Peter. And today we come to chapter 2. And so we're kicking off a, a new chapter in this study. We're going to look at the first five verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. So as you're, as you're turning there, um, I, I just want to turn your attention to the holy word of God is what we're looking at. This is what, what God lays before us, what God says is right and good and true. And so I want to invite you to stand with me as I read from God's word to, to be reminded this is the foundation of not only our faith, this is the foundation of of the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, we stand on the living word of God, the inerrant, infallible word of God. And this is what the scripture lays before us in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Peter writes this, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, church, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Before we're seated, let's invite the Lord to speak into our lives what he knows we need to hear and what he knows we need to see on this day. Let's pray. Father, as we stand before you, with the reading of your word, and as we now turn our attention to the Holy Scripture, it is my prayer for each and every one of us that our, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears would be open to, to see and to hear, and that our heart, Lord God, would be, would be soft and open to receive what it is that you know we need on this day. So Father, as I pray, I, I just... Confess before all of us gathered that we believe the Holy Spirit is moving among your people and we believe you have something to say. And so I pray that you would have your way among us. I pray that we would not be the same as a result of what you lay before us, Lord. I pray that we would be a changed people because of the living, active word of God taking root in us. So we commit this time to you. We are grateful for it, and we are grateful for the freedom that we have in this country to gather in your name. And we thank you on this weekend, Lord, for the opportunity to be reminded of the great price that has been paid by so many. 
Thank you for giving us the opportunity and the privilege to enjoy these freedoms. I pray that we would not take them lightly, Father, and that they would be used for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And since we are beginning a, a new chapter in our study of 1 Peter, I, I do want to take us back real briefly to begin this message to the very beginning of our study. We, we kicked this off several weeks ago, and at the very beginning of this letter, the, the Apostle Peter gives an introduction to the recipients of this letter and lays out an identity for those in the early church who are hearing this letter. And I want to remind us of what that identity was. Because that identity remains true for the church of Jesus Christ today. Look back at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning of this letter. What does Peter say? First he introduces himself and then he says, this is who this letter is for. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and here it is, to those who are elect exiles, that phrase is so important in this study, of the dispersion in, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter is saying to the, this group of people, this group of followers of Jesus in the early church that has been scattered around to different regions, to different areas, he sends out this letter and he calls them something specific. He says, church, you are elect exiles. That's who you are. You are strangers living in a foreign land. That's an exile. But you are elect by God to be living in that foreign land as a stranger. God has you where he has you for a reason. And Peter wants the church to understand this is a gift. It is a gift to see that, that God has chosen you as one of his own. It is a gift to see that God has saved you from what your sins deserve. It is a gift to see that God has sent you out to the place where you currently reside as an, as an exile, a stranger in a foreign land, but a stranger in a foreign land chosen to represent God. You are in this foreign land for such a time as this. Church, do we believe that today? That you are in a foreign land for such a time as this. That God has you where he has you for a reason. That God has chosen you to represent him where you are in this time, in this place, in this culture, in this context. You are where you are. Because you have a God who has sent you there. And Peter wants the church to hear this. It's just so important to understand because it's so easy for us to look at our world and, and, and adopt this us against them mentality or, or adopt this retreat mentality. We got to get away. No, no, no. God has, has called you his own and God has sent you to be a stranger in a foreign land. The other way that you can describe this is you're an ambassador. That's the way the Apostle Paul describes this. 
This incredible language that's so important for the church to grab a hold of that is a part of our identity. If we are a follower of Jesus Christ, these these terms, these, these words used to describe the church, they are significant and they are important. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes to, to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You may want to flip there real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. The apostle Paul says to the the church, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, Paul says, you need to understand this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's your story. That's the good news of the gospel. The old old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then Paul builds on this and says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors. There it is. Elect exiles, ambassadors, strangers in a foreign land representing our God and the gift of salvation that he has made available to us. And that's what Paul writes, God making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Peter says, church, you are are strangers in a foreign land chosen by God to live in this foreign land for such a time as this. The apostle Paul says, you are ambassadors of reconciliation representing the gift that God has provided through Christ. So church, go into the world with this identity and say to the world, we implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God because this has been offered to you and this is good news this is good news what Christ has done is good news not only for the church it is good news for those who are yet to believe if they place their trust in who Christ is and what he has done and so all throughout The Holy Scripture, we see the church described as this people who are sent out into the world with this message representing who God is and what he has done. An ambassador carries the good news of the one who has sent them. And so the word of God is saying, If you are a people who have been sent by God with this message, if you have been chosen by God as an elect exile to live as a stranger in a foreign land, the way that you live in this foreign land really matters. And that's where Peter starts to take us here in chapter two. 
He starts to to say to the church, in light of this good news that you have received, in light of this new identity that you have been given as a new creation, as one who has been saved by the grace of God by faith, as one who has trusted in what Christ has done in the finished work of the cross, the way that you live as a stranger in a foreign land, it matters. The way that you live as an ambassador representing God and the good news of the gospel, it matters. And so Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 2, there are some things that you must intentionally put away if you represent Jesus Christ. And there are some things that you should very specifically long for so that your life can be a reflection of what you have received. So so verse one, Peter says, here's some things you need to put away. This is very helpful, what Peter says. Put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy and, and envy and slander. This is a call to to spiritual growth. This is a call to grow in your faith. This is a call to recognize the gift of sanctification that takes place in the life of one who is a follower of Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God begins to reveal in us the things that need to be laid before the Lord. There are things in our life that need to change as a result of the good news of the gospel that we have received. Our lives should not look the same as we once looked. Our lives should not be lived the same as we once lived before we had a relationship with Christ. So Peter is saying, look, there, there are some things you need to pay attention to. And it's interesting to note that all these, these issues here, these, these sins that Peter brings up in this verse, all of these are, are sins that harm relationships and destroy community. Because Peter wants the church to understand as elect exiles, as ambassadors, the church loving one another, functioning in unity for the glory of God, it is of the utmost importance. And so we must intentionally be willing to put away the things that that can become so normal to us that actually destroy community and harm relationships. And think about this list, malice. Malice is harboring hostility or anger towards someone desiring that something Bad would happen to them, perhaps because of what they've done. Have you ever had malice in your heart towards someone because of the way they treated you? The things they did to you? Deceit is any attempt to to twist the truth or manipulate the narrative. And oftentimes deceit is something that that can just creep into our life in such a way that we just kind of tweak a few things to make ourselves look better. We just tell that story a little different so that, so that we can paint ourselves in a better light. We, we don't tell the whole story. We don't tell the whole truth. We, we just kind of manipulate things a little bit. 
about hypocrisy? Certainly hypocrisy is not alive and well in the church, right? Oh, how we all know that hypocrisy is a reality for each and every one of us, living in such a way that does not line up with what we say we believe. We all have hypocrisy of some kind in our lives. We all wrestle with hypocrisy. There are things in our lives that that do not line up with what we say we believe. What about envy? Oh man, this is like a social media creator's dream right here, envy. Envy is seeing what other people have and wanting it for ourselves. And in fact, seeing what other people have and, and being upset that they have it and we don't. What about slander? Slander is saying something about someone else that tears them down so that we can look better. Saying something about someone to to cut them down so that we can feel better about ourselves. I mean, you look at this list and you realize, oh man, this list, this list is alive and well. This list is, is so prevalent, even in the church. I mean, these are sins. Let's be honest. If we're not careful, these sins become very normal, even in the church. And these are issues that very quickly begin to create division and dissension among the people of God. And these are sins that remind us of our daily need for grace. So here Peter is actually preaching the gospel as he's saying, put these things off. He's saying, be reminded every day of how quickly you can go back to your old self, how quickly you can go back to those old clothes that are so normal in the world around you and put off, put off these issues, these sins that can so easily create division and dissension among the people of God. But, but doesn't this bring up a question, at least it does for me. So if I'm a new creation, if you are in Christ and you're a new creation, why do we have to be told to put off these sins? I mean, why do we still struggle with these sins? If the old is gone and the new has come, why do I attempt to twist the truth to make myself look better? It's my confession. If the old is gone and the, and the new has come, then, then why are there areas of my life where, where I struggle to live out what I say I believe and hypocrisy is alive and well? If the old is gone and the new has come, why is there this temptation for me to, to talk bad about others in an attempt to feel better about myself? Why is that still there? This is what theologians often call the already and not yet. The already and not yet. What does that mean? It means, yes, we have received. If you are in Christ, we have already received the gift of salvation, which means we have been already completely cleansed of our sin in the forgiveness and the mercy and grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are already made a new creation, but we are not yet perfected. 
We still have brokenness. We, we still are in need of grace. The same grace that saves us is the grace that sustains us each and every day. And, and we still have this, this flesh that we occupy. And there's a battle going on in the midst of this already not yet phase where we find ourselves. Writer Paul Tripp is very helpful to me in this. He says, yes, you have, you have been fully forgiven, but you have not yet been completely rebuilt into all that grace will make you. Sin still remains. The war for your heart still rages. The world around you is still broken. Spiritual danger still lurks and you have not been fully reformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus guarantees that all of these broken things will be fixed, but they are not yet fixed. So as I bask in the complete forgiveness that I have been given and enjoy freedom from the anxiety that I will not measure up, I cannot live unwisely. Sin still lives inside me and temptation still lurks outside me. So I'm still a person in daily and desperate need of grace. Forgiveness is complete. Final restoration is yet to come. That's where we live. And so Peter is saying to us, pay attention. Pay attention to the sin that can become so normal in this season of your life. And the way you have victory over this sin, the way you put off the, these old things, the way you put off this, this sin and have victory is given to us right here by the word of God. First Peter chapter two, what is, the, what is the answer for how you put off these old sins? Peter says like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying, church, don't ever lose sight of this. The answer is the gospel. There is not a day where you will not desperately need the grace of God. The same good news that saved you and calls you a new creation is the good news that sustains you and causes you to grow to become more like Christ. Peter is saying to the church, you will never get over your need for the gospel. So preach the gospel to yourself every day. And he gives this great illustration. He says, like a newborn infant that is longing for his or her mother's milk, a newborn infant that, that is hungry and knows there is only one thing that will sustain and nourish. That's how you are to long for the pure spiritual milk of the gospel, the joy of our salvation. There will never be a day where you will not need to hear and remember and recognize and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ that is the good news of the gospel. 
And as Peter says this, he, he takes the listener back to a very familiar passage of scripture in the Old Testament to the book of Psalms. He, he quotes from Psalm 34 here. This psalm of deliverance that would have been very familiar to the people of God who are receiving this letter from, people, from Peter. This is, this is a psalm of David expressing his gratitude at the grace and mercy that God has provided for him in his time of need. This is the psalm of a broken man who knows that he has been rescued and knows that he is being restored by by the grace of God. Turn with me to, to Psalm 34. This is a beautiful, beautiful psalm that Peter quotes from here. Psalm 34, right in the middle of your Bible. Let's begin in verse four. Psalm 34, verse four says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look on him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And David is confessing, he says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard me and saved me out of all my troubles. The angel of the Lord, he encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And here's what Peter points to. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, what a beautiful psalm of, of worship and, and gratitude. This is the, the pure spiritual milk of the joy of deliverance and, and the joy of salvation. This, this is good news. It's so much better than anything this world can offer. And this good news, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, this good news, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, this is the antidote to, to malice and, and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. This is the good news that empowers the people of God to live as an elect exile, a stranger in a foreign land, an ambassador of Christ who carries the gospel with them wherever they may go, this is, this is good news that, that elicits worship as a response to what Christ has done. And so Peter is, is walking us into worship here. As he's saying, remember what Christ has done. You're gonna wrestle with sin. You're gonna have these issues that are still gonna raise their ugly head in, in this already not yet state that you are in and this battle between flesh and the spirit. And as you wrestle, let your wrestling take you right back to the gospel that you would crave the pure spiritual milk of the gospel, this good news of what Christ has done and let that lead you to worship because as you worship in gratitude for what your savior has given you, these, these things of the flesh, they start, to, they start to fade away. And so Peter takes us there, verse four of 1 Peter chapter two. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Peter is reminding us of how beautiful our Savior truly 
is. And this is so powerful in a world full of idolatry. Specifically, if you think about the context to which Peter was writing this letter and thinking about the early churches that that were in the midst of areas that had been so wrapped up in Greek mythology and so wrapped up in in, in Roman authority and, and had all these gods all over the place, God's little g. And Peter is saying to the church, as you look out at the culture around you and you, you see this idolatry that is everywhere and you see all of these gods to all of these different things, be reminded that the one true God is not a God that was made with human hands. Our God is not a God who was crafted in the image of man. Our God is not a dead God of ancient history or Greek mythology. He is living. He is the living stone. This is who our God is. And tonight, Megan, my wife, and I are heading to Atlanta to hop on a plane with a group of people from Shade. Some of you in this room, we're, we're headed to a, a trip to Greece to do a Bible study tour, to walk the footsteps of Paul. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to get there. I cannot wait to be able to unpack the Word of God right there in the places where things were happening with the early followers of Christ, but one of the places we're gonna visit is in the city of Athens. There's a very famous sermon that the Apostle Paul preached called the Sermon at Mars Hill. It's, it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 17. And, and what's so powerful about this sermon is, is the Apostle Paul stands up to preach with temples and idols and man-made statues of gods all around him. With people who are following these many gods and wrapped up in idolatry. And he makes this statement in the midst of all those idols, Acts chapter 17, verse 24. He says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This is what Peter is saying to the church. He is the living stone. Our God is a living God. He is the incarnate God who took on flesh and dwelt among men. He is the Savior God who gives life to to all who trust in him that, that we might live. He is the resurrected God who defeated sin and the grave. He's not in the tomb. His bones are not there. He is alive, the reigning God who will come again. And he is the living stone and he is the life for those who trust in him. That's who our God is. Jesus Christ, precious in the sight of God, the living stone, unlike any other God. Our God is alive. Peter then writes, verse five, you yourself 
like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter talks about Jesus being the living stone, Jesus the living God. Jesus is alive and he turns then to the church and says, you yourselves are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Now we're gonna talk about this more next week as we continue in this text. We're gonna end with this verse here today. But as I was thinking about this, this verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse five, I thought about when I was a kid, and we were taught this, this little hand gesture thing. And I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen this or heard about this, but see if you can go with me. I'm not going to go too fast. So I don't want to confuse anybody. And this is what we were taught. We were taught that this right here is the church. Am I going too fast? Church, all right? And this right here, that's the steeple, right? And then if you, if you open up the doors... What do you see? You see all the people, right? Anybody, anybody hear that or learn that? Okay, you're all wrong. I love you. And your parents or your teachers or, or somebody at VBS, they had good intentions when they taught you that. But Peter's saying, hold on. The church is actually living stones, brought to life by Jesus Christ, built into a spiritual house. So the way it should go is here's the church. Here's the church right here. The people are the church. The people who have been born again, saved by grace. The people who have been brought to life in Christ. They are the church of Jesus Christ. The living stones building a spiritual house. Gathering together for worship. Gathering together to be encouraged and empowered. To go out into the world on mission as ambassadors as those who have been elect by God to live as strangers in a foreign land. The people are the church. The people go into the world to spread the good news about the living stone, the living savior, the one who has given his life so that we might live. Church, Let's be the church. Let's be the church. Think of all the problems that start to happen when we conclude a church is a building. It, it happens all the time. Doesn't happen here, praise God. But it happens all the time. You, you know, there are, there are people in churches that fight about the color of carpet. You know why? Because they think the carpet is the church. There are people in churches that fight about the, the style of music. Can you believe that? You know why? Because they think the music in the building is the church. But that's not it. The people of God who have, been, who have been resurrected, who have been born again, who have been saved by grace, the people of God are the church. And the church has a mission. And the church is to go into the world and to take this good news why? Because the world needs to hear it. 
So let's offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ. Let's, let's live a life of worship as the church that shows the world around us that there is a living Savior who is the hope of the world. Oh, may it be so clear and so alive in us that the world can't help but see it. Let's be the church. Let me pray for us as we close. Father God, I'm so grateful for just the beauty and the power and the authority of your word to lay before us what we, what we need to see. And Father, as we think about what was listed here in 1 Peter chapter 2, we, we just confess and acknowledge there, there are sins that so easily creep into our lives and become normal. And they can distract us and they can create division and they can destroy community and harm relationships. And so, Lord, I pray that, that if, if these sins right now are a part of our story, well, would you just show us what we need to see here, Lord? Have we become one who is harsh, and twisting the truth and deceit? Have we become one who speaks poorly of others in an attempt to build up ourselves? Have, have we become one that that sees what others have and cannot celebrate and be grateful, but who then turns and wants that for ourselves so much so that we get angry at them. Father, show us what we need to see there, Lord. And as, as these things are revealed, Lord, I pray for the faith to go right back to the gospel, to go right back to that pure spiritual milk that, that is the joy of our salvation, that, that we would be reminded again to taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, we thank you for what you have done for us, Lord God. And I pray that you would use us as your people to take this good news with us everywhere we go. Thank you. Thank you for this sacred calling on your church to be ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation, elect exiles, strangers in a foreign land. Lord, let us see clearly the way you see us so that we can then intentionally point others to the good news that we have received. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray.